Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast, concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know that this is your most important event. It is their goal to make you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN LD at Large. I hope you're all enjoying. I am having another wonderful day. My kids are doing homeschool in the next room, and I am in my office. Uh, I haven't even gotten out of the sweatpants I was wearing yesterday. So today felt like a really good day to have a nice discussion. Uh, we started this conversation at the Circle Bar in Vegas shortly after LDI. Things started to get a little fuzzy, so I thought now would be the best time to continue. So I invited my good friend, Court Lawrence. He is the production designer and creative director at Creative by Court. Thank you so much for taking the time, Court. I appreciate it. Hey, Chris. Good to hear from you. It's always a pleasure. Doing these discussions at at LDI is just so whirlwind it's really nice to be able to just take some time and spend an hour to get more in depth with you i know it's tough and i've even been looking back at this year's ldi and after listening to ld a large podcast and realizing a lot of these guys were there and probably at circle bar again like you said circle bar can get a a little bit fuzzy at around 3 a.m on a on a tuesday or wednesday night so but here we are again (laughs) <laughs> I remember being able to do circle bar till five in the morning and then go right back to the show floor by <laughs> eight the next day. And I, I'm well past that. I can't do that anymore. I mean, that's, that's the best way to look at lights, you know, hung over and really <laughs> <laughs> just really get blasted by yeah. hurricanes and any of the, the strobes there. That <laughs> just, it really wakes you up. It's a, it's a hangover cure. <laughs> hey, I mean, that could be a good use for, for lighting, you know? Hair of the dog. Exactly. Cure people's hangovers. Yeah, I'm going to miss Circle Bar. I believe it is more than a month that it's been uh, gutted and torn down. It's. I don't know what they're going to do there. I think it's going to be, I believe it's going to be kind of an off-center bar now. I think they're going to move it off to the side. Maybe a square bar or some other obscure shape. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to try and love whatever they put in there, but it won't, it won't have the same feel. I know. And it's just the, the proximity, you know, Las Vegas convention center that really does the hard rock. I mean, being in the rock and roll industry, that's why we all find ourselves at that hotel, but it's just right there and you feel you're a part of it. You're not on the strip, but you're in a place where we all feel isolated and comfortable drinking with each other till 5 a.m. and then going and looking at lights. So the conversation that we started was about festival design. And it kind of started with a uh, an article that I had written a few years ago that kind of makes it annual circulation. And it's about what 
logistics we need to consider when we're doing a, a festival design. And you have been really successful at kind of walking the line between a very creative festival that is also very functional. And I kind of want to tell some of the listeners about your process and how you've achieved such a, such a fine balance. Absolutely. And that process wasn't something that I just did on my own. I've really, I've traveled with other bands to many festivals and that way, you know, I can learn and see how other front of houses operate and how these festivals kind of take creativity and open it up to their own. But then when A-list artists come in, they are able to give the stage to them and create a special show just for them. So that's always been an interesting concept with festivals and traveling to places like Rock and Rio and Summer Sonic. And you see these large festivals that bring such attendance, but they're very organized and they're very clean. And they're able to take all these artists and all these productions and really make it work and make shows unique, almost like it is just a venue but you're at a festival with some limitations, you know, you're either indoors or outdoors, which can be very dependent on weather. And if you're indoors, that can be dependent on space. So it's always taking those factors in and really utilizing them to your best advantage, but also working with incoming productions and making sure they're the ones that are taken care of. But at the same time, hijinks and rock and rio and summer sonic these are all like brands that we'll we'll remember for a while maybe even after a lot of these bands fade away i mean those festivals especially Lollapalooza, and you and i were just talking about coachella and that recent documentary i mean these festivals have been around for 20 years and there's some bands that i don't remember that were around 20 years ago but some are still out there so that's the good thing so let's kind of go back to your first festival design. When was the first time that somebody approached you say, hey, can you do a festival rig? Um, that was back maybe five years ago. And I was with a good friend of mine, Mitch Skellinger, and we were kind of working on not only festivals, but artists that were, you know, we were working with college artists and a lot of these colleges I'm not sure if they still do, but they still put on these programmed events um, for the schools. And we were a part of some of those, which are much like a festival, and it still brings in college attendance. And But it still is a specialized event that you have to work with an incoming production and making sure their rider is taken care of from a production aspect, but still create something that's going to be good for the students and you know, those attending those shows. So recently though, um, I started working with hijinks and that's a, a festival put on in Philadelphia and that's promoted by live nation last year was their second year. So it's a fairly new festival, which has been unique to be on the front end of a brand that's growing and with a brand that's growing, that's budgets that are growing, that's attendance, that's growing, that's bigger artists and bigger names and to see that grow is kind of unique and i'm able to be there to kind of facilitate the creative aspect which is 
really unique. Um, even in, even coming down to kind of video elements, you know, splash screens and kind of being creative there. Okay. Just to help so tie imagine, that all in. I would imagine that they found you from some of your previous designs. They'd seen that you, you know, concert festival lighting and they, they knew that you and it was Mitch. Yeah. Mitch Gallinger. Mitch is a great friend and he's a, a great designer as well. He's definitely stayed more on the touring side. Um, but him and I were in that element at the start of our careers. And I really stepped away from festivals for a bit. I was working festivals as, you know, a front of house operator and a front of house babysitter just to make sure things were going as going well. But now going back into that design realm has kind of helped me push my name into the the festival aspect of things. So you were right there on the front lines. You were the the front of house engineer. You were the system tech. You were the one bringing coffee to all the designers. So you knew exactly what everybody wanted. Exactly. And staying up till again, 5 a.m. <laughs> doing overnight yeah. programming with these guys and making sure. And that's, there's a limitation right there is outdoor festivals. You know, you're waiting for the sun to go down and programming as much as you can in those four five six hours of nighttime and then here comes the sun again so but hijinks is an in <clears throat> an indoor festival so that's really provided a unique aspect to how a festival can utilize an indoor space to really drive production and make it more creative in a way tell me what factors in when you think about the the compromises you have to make between the brand name that hijinks wants, they want it to be the biggest, most spectacular, crazy rig that they can get. And then you also have to have the utility of all the different designers and all the different people coming through. What, what factors in there? Well, again, the start of it is the audience and that's, that's who hijinks and live nation and a lot of these promoters are looking at first because the audience is the ones paying for this. You know, they want to, be dazzled and be amazed and they want the experience. So focusing on something that can encapsulate them and create a, a show for them, whether it's just hijinks or whether it's bass nectar or Skrillex or these guys coming in and taking that show, you know, I'm always constantly looking at the, looking at other shows and looking at tech packs and drawings and writers from all these other artists to try and see what the similarities are and how their designs are kind of working in a way that you can take those pieces and make them bigger. I mean, a convention center is a very big space this past year. You know, we, we filled every inch of it with lighting and video and pyro and anything else you could really want inflatables. So <laughs> that's like the exactly inflatables have been, a unique aspect that I didn't really know were such a big thing, but they are. And I feel I yeah, really you get like a huge now. bang for your buck there. The, the inflatable yeah. a decent price and you get a really good impact. The audiences love them. They love the, the giant pigs and the spaceman and right. <laughs> yeah. Especially if they bounce, if you can bounce an inflatable, people could just go, they go nuts. I feel we're all just kids at heart anyways, looking back in those bounce houses and <laughs> inflatable, <laughs> inflatable pools and 
that's why we go to concerts because we are just a bunch of children. We we really do love wow factors. We just our wow factor just gets more and more expensive. We just we can't just uh, look at a spinning top anymore. We need a giant spinning top now. I know we need that <laughs> that extra oomph, you know, to make us feel like we're really being amazed. Yeah. We Which all think cool. we're classy and refined until we go to a concert and they've got, <laughs> so they start throwing the, the beach balls and we all turn into five-year-olds again. Exactly. Smacking around, you know, those bubble machines. I haven't seen those in a while, but those, <laughs> those were such, those were so cool. You know, they put the, the fog inside of them. I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so you still have to, Basically, you look at the size of that entire event center. You said it's a, uh, a warehouse or a... It's a, it's a convention center. Convention center. So, so basically, so, there's a, you have to fill that entire space. Right. And there's, there's a few festivals around that time that are doing the same thing. You've got decadence and lights all night and, you know, mm-hmm. and that's a unique aspect around that time of year. Um, you know, we're, it's very unfortunate right now in this time that festivals are, are not really a thing, but Mm -hmm. when you go into that fall and winter era, you've got a lot of those jingle ball festivals. And I feel festivals have become a year round business, whether it's indoors or outdoors, you can put a festival anywhere and make it really unique. So I agree. And filling those spaces is the ultimate goal. Yeah, so the problem with filling the entire space, though, is that a bunch of the guest LDs that are coming in are only going to have three or four hours. So the more stuff you put, is the more work for them, unless you have to get really creative about, okay, so you guys have control of this, and we're going to control all of this. And how do you, how do you walk that line? So, and we, we did walk that line this year. We had basically what we called you know, the main rig, the onstage rig and the audience rig. And we gave the LDs, the operators, the choice of taking over everything, which is more than fine. There's a lot of great programs out there. You know, you've got the Christian Jacksons and the Justin Casey's and a lot of those guys that can come in and really sit down with a rig, whether no matter how big it is and take over control. But with an indoor festival and with festivals in general, you have artists that are showing up that day and that's difficult to give them time to program and really dial in their show. So we're able to take that house rig to our own desk and we're able to just to control it and follow them with our own cues, or we can take RGB input and just apply certain factors to those lights and keep them in certain focuses that we approve of and that we need for, you know, specials on dancers or the walls. We use the the Huracan on these walls, which was kind of a unique aspect this past year because the ultimate goal was to provide a projection aspect, you know, conventions, convention centers are ugly on the inside they're just you know they're just (laughs) bland boxes where people come to sell medical equipment you know or boats (laughs) but then for a show you really need to change it up and make it you know colorful and pretty especially for a dance music festival so 
we took the Huracan, which we only needed a few because, you know, they their zoom range is massive. And from the distance we were shooting them, we knew that we could zoom them wide enough and they were bright enough to reach the walls and you only needed a few. So artists were definitely able to take over control of those because one, there was only a few of them and they were just there to fill a massive void and make walls look unique. And so then you would just recommend to somebody like, look, just clone, clone over your intensity and your colors and just leave the position where they are because they're already pointed where they need to be to light up the whole room. And you get a lot of people that are just totally willing to hop in and push some buttons on, on that with your recommendations. Or is there a lot of people trying to disagree with you? You feel like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want those. You don't need those. Or I'd imagine you get a, a mixture of both. Yeah, you get a mixture of both. And that's, you know, that's the fun part of festivals is working with all these incoming LDs. I mean, of course, your main focus is on the top two or three headliners. Those are the guys who, one, are bringing the LDs or the the video VJs. And they have a crew with them that can facilitate a production. So it's up to those guys on how they want to control things but we're there to be prepared to control the show and make it a show no matter which way they want it so but having the ability within the ma to you know have these art net merges and control certain fixtures at certain points and kind of give access to parts of the rig really makes these festivals a lot easier you know seeing that and i've noticed that in other festivals that wasn't something i kind of created on my own i mean rock and rio has a huge audience package full of lights and there's lights everywhere and it really takes an integrated system to control all that and allow an incoming production to just apply color or intensity and keep the positions and if they are really feeling up to it you know of course they can completely clone over and use it to every aspect those lights can manage. So when you're designing the rig, do you generally reach out to those people before you start putting trusts on paper or absolutely. Okay. I mean, and that's the fun part about festivals is, you know, when you get to these festivals, you get to be with your friends and work together and, you know, hang out at front of house and watch them program and, eat pizza and, you know, just be, (laughs) be friends, you know, and that's, that's the kind of environment that you hope to see at festivals is more of a a friendly environment, but leading up to the festival, you know, six months out, I'm constantly just kind of chatting with incoming LDs to see, you know, what they're using in their rigs and are they more of an asymmetrical rig or very, I mean, in an idiot, in EDM, it's very symmetrical. Those guys have to have symmetry. I feel there's a lot of OCD kids out there that love symmetry, which makes shows look a lot better. And you know, you're able to you're able to program faster as well. So right. with those even numbers, it really helps. But some some people out there have asymmetrical rigs, and they need that kind of interesting aspect that kind of fits their creative creative aspect and their their looks 
And there's absolutely a time and a place for asymmetry. And I, I don't know if concert or if festivals is generally the place for it. You're kind of looking more, I think you have to default slightly utility leaning over creativity. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I would imagine that you just kind of take the three headliners or let's say the, the three biggest acts and you just kind of merge their plots into whatever you think is going to be the most beneficial for all three. Absolutely. And I discuss more, you know, what fixtures they're comfortable using and that, and that's kind of more around the time when we're starting to put out bids, but taking those plots and kind of looking where the similarities are and, you know, knowing my festival and knowing that I can only apply a 50 foot truss to their, you know, 60 or little changes like that. So taking all those elements and even if, you know, there are some productions out there that are open to bringing their own floor package and open to flying their own truss or flying their own scenic piece. So you kind of have to take all that in first before you really start nailing down really just the onstage aspects. You know, those are the, those are the places they are going to change, but focusing on the audience package is kind of my first start just to kind of nail that down. And then the onstage stuff is going to constantly change. It's going to change all the way up until showtime for them. So. Yeah. That's always one of the hardest parts about festivals is uh, when you're doing your own tour and something changes, you're the only person that you have to tell. But when something changes in a festival rig, you have to send out emails to everybody saying, Hey, okay, so these Sharpies won't go on the tower the way I had them drawn. So we had to change them and we had to change the mode. So then you have to email all your people and then, you know, come day of, you're like, okay, so this changed, this changed, and this changed. And it's always a, it's tough to decide if you have to tell them in an email, if you're going to give them a call, if you have to update all the plots. And uh, where do you usually end up with that one? Uh, you try and... Just phone call, email, change plots. Exactly. I mean, constant. there are constant revisions going back and forth between us and the artist team. So, but we try and we try and stay ahead of that and make sure that our MA3D file or whatever previs file we're using is very up to date and the fixture orientations are correct and adding any of those little pieces. Um, but with these EDM festivals, you get kind of lucky. So that's kind of the benefit. But when you are working those larger rock and roll festivals where bands are actually bringing backline and bringing floor packages, you got to make sure those elements are really well drawn out. So they know what they're coming into. I even had a rendering of our front of house layout because of all the visual team people that were, going to be involved you know some artists were bringing their own laser guys and vjs who need need to be next to each other with the ld and you've got time code and other sources of you know signal that are being all controlled from one area so and those guys need to be close enough to each other where they can do their jobs but still have enough room where <laughs> they don't feel like they're scrunched in a in a front of house so we try to focus on that aspect as well as making front of house uh, an enjoyable place to be. Um, we have our previs at front of house um, just because 
the convention center is a large place. We could put previs anywhere, but I decided to put it at front of house. So guys had the opportunity to touch on their files and stay out there and not go too far into the crowd, but have the opportunity to tweak things all the way up until showtime. And then they're right there to take their show file and put on a show. Wow. Was that a luxury or a necessity putting that out there? Cause I would imagine getting through the crowd is very time consuming. It is. It's a bit time consuming, but that was another reason, you know, there's, there was a few instances the first year where just getting, you know, the team to front of house, if they were late and they had just come up from a different festival or a different show, you know, I felt having front of house as one whole area with previs and with all the necessities and snacks and just one area where people can be creative and do what they need to do and stay out there. We had a porta potty out there. You have everything out there that you need to do your show and then off they go onto the next show. Although your own little village out there sounds very pleasant. Exactly. And I've, that's again, another thing I've learned from other festivals where sometimes you roll into a festival and front house is just a tent in a a little field, you know, and not, not something you're really interested in staying overnight at. So we've come a long way from there just being a table and a whole hog two and a pump <laughs> you know, now people roll up with three consoles, a laser console, a media server, and, uh, and uh, even a video I was director. most impressed. Yeah. We had a, uh, a video, a VJ this year with a liquid cooled computer in a Pelican. I mean, that's, that's really going above and beyond. And it was really cool to see. And, it did it did what he expected it to do, but we really have come a long way from just seeing a single console out of front of house with you know an actual copper snake, not yeah, not the Ethernet we're running and fiber we're running today. Yeah. So I one of the things that always comes up at all the festivals is fixture modes. I I I want to say it's a about a sixty forty split where some people want everything to be in standard mode and some people want them to be in full extended mode. How do you make that decision? Well, and that again is something I discuss with incoming LDs. I personally like to be in a a lower mode, more of a standard and basic mode, just because cloning is a lot quicker and easier. And, you know, sometimes these programmers and LDs, they want, you know, a very extended mode. But when you actually look at the show, it doesn't utilize what is in those modes specifically. (laughs) So, you know, you wonder why you're eating up spaces of universe. Magic panel would be a great example. Right? (laughs) One universe per. You can put two on a universe. Is that right? Yeah. Or you can put them in standard and they're 20 channels but you still get all the almost everything except minus the pixel mapping. Right. And inevitably if you put them in standard mode, there's going to be one LD that's like, Hey, I really needed these in extended mode. And at that point you just, there's nothing you can do. You've already, you've already cabled them and patched them one way. And 
you're going to make somebody upset. They're going, well, I really wanted those in extended mode. Exactly. And that's why that discussion takes place before those final calls are made. And, you know, if you're smart about it, I guess you can leave in space so you can RDM in and change those modes later on. But I mean, you only see the larger modes in the, you know, in the strobe lights and any of those particular fixtures that really have a lot of cells to them. So those fixtures, I really don't mind leaving in an extended mode because I know LDs are going to take control of all those little cells and they probably already have that in their show file. You know, there there's enough fixtures out there now that everybody has used them once or twice. So they know what's in them and what mode they would prefer them in and how they fit in their show file. So let's say you have three LDs and they all need 12 front light and they all want something different. One of them wants a uh, Camson, one of them wants a, a Viper, and one wants a uh, BMFL. Uh, how do you, how do you uh, walk that line? Or does it come down to what the, your production, your rental house has? Or is it something you have to go to bat for? I mean, it depends, you know, if, if the LD is a good friend of mine, of course, I'm going to go bat for him and (laughs) I'll go, you know, I'll go get the light he wants. I really don't mind, you know, it might cost his production something and it may piss off my production team. But at the end of the day, you know, if the, if the top headliner wants this light, you know, we'll do the best we can. But at the same time, we did run into that a few times this past year. And what we did is just, we put one of each and I think we ended up with mega points and vipers or something like that on the downstage trust. And then we kind of split, split up what they wanted. So because I know the LDs are using those specific fixtures in their show. And if they have half of them, they can still do half the things they expect them to do and want them to see so that makes it important to their show and just giving them a little bit of what they need kind of goes a long way so it's it's a give and take relationship but i do my best and again it does come down to where the fixtures are coming from you know if you need to go to different rental houses and different vendors and that can be a time consuming process especially I mean, these days gear comes and goes so quickly. So you almost need to lock it down months in advance just to receive anything you want. Man, that's a razor thin line that you're walking there because <laughs> I mean, you, you're really trying to make everybody happy, but knowing that there's a, it, knowing that it's impossible to make everybody 100% happy because they can't have exactly their rig. They have to they have to compromise one way or another and inevitably you're going to either hurt somebody's feelings or you just have to let them know like, Hey, I, I couldn't do that. Exactly. And at the end of the day, I don't see a lot of egos come through some of the festivals I'm involved with. They're very cool and understanding about what's there. And they honestly know that this festival is one of three that they have that weekend. So their mind is not really focused on the little things, but, there are those bigger artists that are specific. So those are the ones I'll go to bat for. But at the end of the day, if it can't happen, it really can't happen. So, but 
I've learned that you can pretty much do anything as long as you put your mind to it and find the gear and find a way. And that was the funny thing with those hurricanes is <laughs> I had to go beg James suit and Doug at, at LDI just to get a few of them because I wanted them for my show and I knew it would be a unique piece to the hijinks festival. So I went to bat for them and they were very sweet to me. Uh, that must be fun too, to be able to be at front of house and you know, like, Hey, you guys, I got some really cool new fixtures that you get to hang out and play with for a few days. And uh, these are something that actually has some really new features that you haven't seen yet. Exactly. I mean, they were very impressed by not only the fixture, but seeing them on a festival plot and being able to, you know, put in a little bit of time. Again, festivals are so rushed these days, right. but just doing a quick clone from a similar fixture. I mean, they were able to get a, a ton of unique looks out of these hurricanes. So that was a treat for them and a treat for everybody that noticed them. So. Right on. So uh, when it comes to the, the, the trust layout, how do you usually have to walk that line? Uh, I would imagine a lot of people are very upstage heavy. A lot of people are sidelight heavy. Which one, which one do you find to be the most versatile? Do you so, try and do curved straight? That's a tough one, especially in oh, this I know. building. <laughs> well, this building, the, just the weight loads alone kind of, are the first aspect my rigger and I look at um, with any of these convention centers, you have rigging limitations. So to make it easier on that process, you know, we, we tend to go straight trusses and which a lot of LDs are fine with because it creates that symmetrical and linear looks that they use. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to make things always as easy. You know, we try and push the boundaries of creating something unique and different other than these other festivals. So, so you do your best to walk that line and tr create something that looks special, but you still have to find a way to make the rigger happy and not have bridles and spanning trusses and all these things to make it work just for a curved truss. So a lot of straight trusses, a lot of boxes and cubes. And we did some X's the first year. So still drawing out that creativity, but utilizing the space as best as you can, especially with trim height and things like that in a convention center. That must be especially tough when you come to a repeat festival, because you've already designed a perfect a seemingly perfect rig for the, let's say the 2018. And then they come back. Well, we, for 2019, we want the same, but different. Exactly. That's, that's the fun part about it, but we, we need the same impact, but just change it up enough. So it's the 2019 version. <laughs> Isn't that how all things work these days though? I mean, if you look at, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they come out with a, a new iPhone or a new computer every every year or so, and it's just a little bit different. Yeah, but this you one still has pay three cameras on it. <laughs> I, I wasn't even using the second camera. Well, yeah, well, this right. one has three cameras now. 
Yeah. I mean, what th- this TV that I have is just a little bit thinner than the last one, but I really wanted the, <laughs> the thinnest one possible. <laughs> Ghostbusters was a great movie. Now, just make them all girls and do it again. Uh, okay, <laughs> sure. That's a great idea. I, I would imagine that that gets... It really have to put your creativity to the test. You have to really sell them on the fact that no, it's this is the new and improved version without losing that that core, the kernel that you've got there for the for the lighting programmers. Exactly. And that's why, you know, I see this at a lot of festivals and I've learned it from these festivals, especially Electric Forest and you know, Ultra and EDC and all these festivals, they use scenic to their advantage. So when you use scenic pieces, such as inflatables or, you know, flat pieces of wood, decorative wood and um, these painted scrims, you know, you can use those and kind of make something different. And we did utilize inflatables in that way just to kind of make things different and hung them in a different orientation and kind of create something a bit different. So that's what we are going to be doing again this year. Um, but we do our best to make things unique per year and whether that's changing video or lighting <laughs> or hanging it different, you know, you could put lights on T pipes instead of right on the truss and create a, an arch of them. So there's so many pieces you can really get, creative with well this next year is going to be unique for sure every festival that's going to be coming up in 2020 if there are any left are going to be very unique how do you how do you foresee the the rebound of the festival industry i mean i'm really hopeful and optimistic that a lot of these festivals will be happening you know by the end of summer or even during summer um And that way, you know, people can get busy and and continue to work. And, you know, I worry about the rental houses and these vendors, you know, I I have a close relationship with, you know, vendors and manufacturers like yourself. And you want to see those people continue to do what they're doing and spread creativity. Um, So I'm hopeful that, you know, hopefully we see Coachella and see some of these larger festivals happen at the end of summer. And if that does happen, you know, hopefully we'll see some of those winter festivals and by next year we'll be back on our regular schedule. But what do you a, think it's, it's going to look like for the audiences? Do you think it's going to be, are we going to be right back to 20 and 30,000 person capacities? Or do you think it's going to be cut in, cut in by fifth? Do you think it's going to be I think a, it, a sold out yeah. crowd will be 10,000? people in a 50,000 seat venue? I think it will be cut down and, you know, seeing some of these kids just piled, you know, in these fields and these convention centers, you know, it just seems too much sometimes anyways. But I mean, you look at the math, you know, and your attendance per square footage and, you know, you go through this with fire marshals and teams that are looking at all these numbers that, they the math works and it's appropriate that 25,000 people are in a convention center but now with the aspect of a virus 
possibly in that midst of a crowd can just be a little intimidating and scary. So I don't, I don't think crowds will be that big. I don't think they can be that big. It just seems a little bit too reckless to put that many people into a crowd and have them in harm's way. Uh, With sports, I see them being able to return first because they could still do, I mean, you could test the, the players and a handful of cameramen and a commentator, and then you could broadcast that to the world and it would, you'd lose the live audience, but you'd still be able to present the sporting event with concerts without the live audience. I don't see why it would be, I don't, it wouldn't have the same appeal. No, it really wouldn't. But I have seen, you know, some interest in these virtual festivals and, online streams of artists but at the end of the day you aren't really feeling the sound and your your eyes aren't really opening up to these pivotal moments of lighting and video so that's really tough to witness on a on a computer screen or a tv screen and maybe the the thinnest tv screen but (laughs) you're really you're really not going to see a festival in its true nature so uh, in order to get through these uh, these lean times, my wife and I will sit in my office and we'll watch some of the previs videos that people are doing for the Ayrton Boredom Buster. And that oh, is I, our, I enjoy them. They are great. They are so good. Uh, that's kind of our tiny slice of our former life where we were going to festivals all the time. And it's it's not cutting it. It's nice. It's it's a it's a uh, it's a pacifier, but it's it's not going to last much past August. Andy Cass, he he did a great one. I I really enjoyed his only because you know, you know the the motive of the project is to use Ayrton Ayrton lights, but mm-hmm. in a previs software, you know you really can't distinguish a beam of light. Now you can distinguish you know a magic blade or a magic panel or the Cosmopix or a lot of those unique fixtures but any other fixtures that are just a beam of light in a previs it's tough to <laughs> yeah. tell what's yeah it's hard to replicate an, it. an alien pics you, when right. you see an alien pics going you're like that's ah, clearly an alien pics yeah you know exactly <laughs> what that is so he he used some pictures that really had a there to name on it so i enjoyed that yeah he is uh he's a master of those cosmo pics there are very few people out there that have been able to really utilize them the way that they're that they were inspired but yeah, that's, i hope to i would love to see more cosmopix on festivals but i don't think that that's an easily cloneable fixture i don't think we're going to see those on festivals i saw them somewhere and i want to say it was in europe and i did see them on a festival and went wow that is i believe it was special a specialty item for one of the artists that had requested them but it okay. was unique that they did allow other bands to play with them and involve them in their show. I mean, that's kind of, you know, some festivals are so simple as far as the cloning process goes. If you put a light like that in there, it kind of challenges LDs to play with it and maybe utilize it in their show in a unique way. So I think there will always be those fixtures out there that you can utilize in a festival environment and 
LDs won't be too mad at you that you put it up there. <laughs> well, it, I would hope that nobody's upset to see some Cosmo picks. That makes me happy to hear that that is happening. It is. I've, I've seen it and I've seen magic blades and I've seen a lot of these fixtures used in festival environments where LDs can come in and at least put a little bit of programming time into it. And it makes their show different than the next festival. You know, if all festivals look the same, it would be more boring for the LD and anybody that has seen the show from festival to festival, but each audience is different in a way. So, Uh, so one of the things that I've seen happen and I, and I hope to, that we can talk about this so that some people will avoid this in the future. But I've seen that I've seen festival rigs get so big and so complicated that people, their eyes get way bigger than their skill set. And they're like, well, I want, I want control of everything. Give me control of everything. I'm going to take care of this. And then come doors or the, the time they have to give up their program, they're, they're so deep in all of the eye candy that they've completely forgotten the the core parts. They've forgotten to light the money. They've forgotten some of the major elements of their show because they got so bedazzled by everything else. Have you, have you experienced that? I have, I've, I've seen it and I personally have done it as well. You know, you get, <laughs> that's, that's very honest. You know, you get kind of distracted in your own ways trying to, take over a rig and you know you want to be the the confident person you are and really put your time into it but you know whether you're using a bus page or whether you're using a full time-coded show file you know you gotta kind of focus on things create a list and start nailing those things down as to what you need to focus on whether it's cloning over focus presets or color presets and making sure those are all matching so I've seen it and what I focus on first, of course, like you said, is lighting the money. So, you know, with, with every festival, you know, you hope to see a downstage wash or a key light. So, I mean, you just start creating these mental checklists to nail things down, but festivals definitely have gotten bigger and bigger. And it seems to be a point where the production is more involved in your show than you are you're there just to make sure it's looking the way it should. And that, you know, those hits are being timed correctly, but who has the time to really sit down and program some of these large festivals when you show up, you know, the day of, you know, the morning of you load in, put your rig on the stage and start programming. But here comes the next artist, you know, two hours later, it's, it's really tough. Yeah, I'd so, imagine once great. you get lost in the weeds once, you have to start a mental or even a physical list of your priorities. Like, okay, so I have to make sure that downstage center is lit. I have to make sure that the drum solo is exactly the way it needs to be. I make sure that the guitar solo is where my guitar solo presets are perfect. And then you can kind of get into the eye candy and all the all the splishy, splashy, wiggliness. Right. And that's another aspect of looking at other artists, writers and plots and things like that ahead of time is if you do involve some of those elements at a similar spot in the rig, you know, hopefully their focus looks pretty spot on 
from the time they opened up their show file and they really don't have too much to do. So making things easier on those guys is always more helpful to them. And it just makes the show look better anyways, because that's the the main goal is making a good show, but having an LD that already has a show file with these specific elements, you know, that, that allows you just to make it easier on everybody. Those are my favorite days, either as a programmer or as a front of house engineer is the days that somebody rolls up with their USB stick and all of the information that they had gotten was correct. They load up their show file and all they do is update presets and they're like, okay, good. Thank you. I'm going to go get some coffee. Those are the days that you really (laughs) feel like everything's gone right. And it's almost invisible when it happens correctly because because there's no hassle there's no stress it's just like yeah everything was the way it was supposed to be so thank you for your for doing your job and thank you for getting information to me so i could do my job i I love that moment and we this past year we actually had a few artists that were delayed because of you know weather weather travel coming from i think they're coming from the west coast and us being on the East coast, you know, there's weather all the time during that time of year. So they were delayed and we were actually handing them info. I don't know if they were on the plane or if they were getting on the plane, but we were handing them info because that's what they needed. And when they worked on it on the plane, they showed up and everything looked pretty spot on to what they had done on the plane. So that is nothing short of magic. Right. (laughs) Sounds like magic. You were doing a show in the air and you nailed it. Like, yeah, that's what I was doing. I was putting my laptop on my, on my debt, on my little, uh, drink tray and nailed a festival. I know you could, you could see the moment some turbulence hit though. I think (laughs) maybe one (laughs) folk, maybe one focus was off, but it amazes me how these guys can, really nail these things down and create those mental checklists on a plane, on a bus, wherever they are, they can open up their laptop and create an amazing show. Yeah, we agree. That is the end goal. Right on court. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I will continue listening to all these amazing people on your show. It's been a, it's been a treat to listen to friends and old friends and new friends and people I'd like to be friends with. There's a lot of, a lot of creative people out there. And I think listening to a lot of these guys talk, I've learned so much and I've learned so much off of everything now. I mean, the amount of resources we have from Vectorworks and all these previs softwares that are allowing us to really dig in and, learn some new tools is great even tate i saw posted something today about learning navigator so wow you can learn i know you can learn everything now that's amazing (laughs) thank you so much for your time thanks chris